the nugget for today is the curse of success is compromise. Do you want to expand on that at all? You can't have success if you compromise. Pastor just handed this to me, and I said, we'll go ahead and put it up there. And um, if you compromise, you're not going to have success. And we see that in Joshua 1. If we would all turn there, that's not my sermon. But let's go ahead and turn there. You just, you can't compromise. And this is the hour and the time when people are compromising, unfortunately. You know, compromising on what they know, what they've heard. They know that, you know, that people that have heard the word, the word of faith, people that studied under Brother Hagen, unfortunately, have gone other ways. And there, you know, Jesus said... Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, impossible to please God. Come on, Joshua. There you go. So, Let's go ahead and go to verse 1, and I'm going to read out of the Amplified Bible. Father, I just thank you and praise you for the opportunity that I have this morning to come and allow the Holy Spirit to teach the Word of God through me. I thank you, Father, that we can pray for those that are on vacation that aren't here today. We can pray for those, Father God, that have circumstances and situations that are going on. We thank you, Father God, for the anointing upon your word, upon this seed. This word is seed. And your word says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so faith cometh this morning as you hear the word of God. And I thank you, Father, that this this seed, this word, falls on good ground, good soil, and it will bring forth a mighty harvest. And it's up to us, each one of us, to go through and get rid of the stuff, the weeds and the junk that that try to crop in and choke the word of God, the things that choke the word. It's up to us to get rid of it. No one can get rid of it for us. We've got to get rid of it. Only God can help us through this, and we must rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the things that would hinder us in everyday life. So, Father, as I yield myself to you, spirit, soul, and body, I thank you that you will teach the Word, and I thank you, Father God, that this Word, at any point, any point, any time you want to change this sermon that I have prepared, into what you desire to be taught this morning. I give you full reign because it's you that's the teacher anyway, Holy Spirit. So I praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So after the death of Moses, Joshua chapter 1, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' minister, Moses, my servant, is dead, so now arise Take this, take his place, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land which I am giving to them, the Israelites. Every place upon which the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given, that have I given to you, as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, to the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, Canaan, and the great Mediterranean Mediterranean Sea on the west shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong, confident, and of good courage, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only you be strong. Notice he's telling Joshua, only you be strong and very courageous, that you may do according to all the, the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. So he's telling him, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. What a promise. This book of the law or the word shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall, de you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. He's saying to him, and I know I've taught this many times, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. How? Because he, he told him, do not let the word depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. God is telling us, if we will line our lives up with the word of God, live by the word, be doers of the word, not hearers only, that we will be blessed and we will accomplish and be blessed by everything that he's promised to give us. We cannot be slothful. If you'll turn to Proverbs uh, 20. This is not the time to back away from the things of God because there is a great falling away. It's amazing evangelists that we've known for years and missionaries talk about how many churches have lost so many people, people that have fallen away. It's really sad. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, Proverbs 4, wrong. Okay, Proverbs 4. Let's look at uh, verse 11. I have taught you in the way of skillful and godly wisdom, which is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. I have led you in the path of uprightness. Those of you that have been born again and blessed in a Word of Faith church, you've been taught in the way of skillful and godly wisdom, which is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. I have led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your steps shall not be hampered, your path will be clear and open, and when you run, you shall not stumble. Verse 13, take firm hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. I'm going to read that again. Verse 13 of Proverbs 4, take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Enter not in the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn not from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep in this, lest they have caused trouble or vexation. Their sleep is taken away unless they cause someone to fail or to fall. For they shall eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. 
but the path of the uncompromisingly just, that's us, and righteous is like the light of dawn that shines more and more brighter and clearer until it reaches its full strength and glory in the perfect day to be prepared. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Verse 20, my son, attend to my words, consent and submit to my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, healing and health to all their flesh. Guard and keep and guard your heart with all vigilance. And above all that you guard, for out of it flows the spring of life. Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk be far from you. That actually means anything that is, that is not faith. You need to put it away from you. There's merit, very much a lot said about our, the words that we speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. There are many things. Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. Let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose and let your gaze be straight before you. Consider well the path of your feet and let your ways be established and ordered aright. Turn not not aside to the right hand or to the left Remove your foot from evil. So he's saying if you start to go into evil or if you are, remove yourself immediately. But I want to look at this because we saw that in Joshua, as he meditated on the word, he made himself prosperous. Amen. That's a promise from God. He, in the New Testament, it talks about we've all been given the measure of faith. We all start out in the same place. It's what we do with it. And faith cometh how? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we all start out in the same place, but we can grow as far in him as we desire to. It all has to do with what we do with the word. Amen. So let's look at this a little bit. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. Let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose and let your gaze be straight before you. Consider well the path of your feet. And let all of your ways be established in order to write. Now, you might be in a situation where plan, uh, things are planned and the Spirit speaks to you and tells you, don't go. You know, especially in the times that we're in right now, don't be surprised if the Lord tells you, do not get on that plane. What's going to be more important? that trip or your life you know i'm just telling you situations that he don't don't be surprised if god tells you certain things be obedient to what he tells you i remember jesse deplanis talking about one time the lord told him not to get on the plane and people mocked him and laughed at him i can't remember did the plane have to come down and did it crash or what was it you remember Pardon? Could not take off. Could not take off. I thought it did take off and had to come back. Anyway, I think there were a couple of times that it happened. We've got to listen to what he has to tell us and do it. Many, many things are going on. We can't be blinded in this hour. Amen. This is an hour, I will tell you, you cannot be blinded. Keep your eyes, look straight on with fixed purpose and let your gaze be straight before you. 
Consider well the path of your feet and let all your ways be established and ordered aright. Turn not aside to the right hand or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. You know, there's been times when I remember one time, it was pastor's birthday, we were going off to the beach to spend the night and I, I, went, it was, I went into the hotel to register and the Lord told me, go home. Go, don't register, go home. And I thought, well, okay. I'm taking him off for his birthday. You're telling me to go home. So I came, went to the car and I said, I can't explain this to you, but we need to go home and we'll spend, you know, we'll stay at home. And so I fixed him a nice dinner with candles and whatever. Well, thank God we'd gone home because someone in the congregation died that night and the family needed him, needed him to be there. And we had turned off the phone and they had called someone else and the person told them, well, I think they're, they've gone away for the night, but I'll go to the house and knock and find out. And we were there. So we have to listen to the voice of God. Was I disappointed? No, because I knew it was the Spirit of God telling me at that point. Okay, let's go ahead and um, go on with what we've been teaching on, the Holy Spirit. So today I'm going to teach on the Holy Spirit, an ever-present source of power. God wanted all that said for a purpose and a reason, and we'll find, you'll find out this week what it was for. Don't be shocked if the Lord tells you, don't do that. Don't go there, whatever. Okay. The New Testament gives us three relations that God sustains towards man. Number one, God for us. Number two, God with us. Number three, God in us. To have God for us guarantees success. If God be for you, who can be against you? So that guarantees success. Amen? Look at Romans 8.31. Thank God. My God is for me. I serve a God that's alive. You know, I, I believe that somehow we're going to get to watch all the things that took place in the Old Testament when we get to heaven. And I can't wait to look at whatever video or whatever of when the prophet called on the water around, you know, you had the Baal worshipers and the, and the prophet and I can't wait to see that one. I mean, they got up there and cut themselves and did whatever, and all he did was speak what God told him to speak, and, and God moved. Just, I, I, there are so many things, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but there are a lot of things in the Old Testament. When I first got saved, I would read those things, and I'd think, wow, that is so powerful. I can't wait to see a lot of these things. So anyway, let's look here. Pro, um, Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be our foe if God is on our side? God is on my side. You need to learn this scripture. Learn it and speak it when you're in a situation that looks impossible. The King James says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Whatever comes up, if God is for me, who can be against me? So God is for us. 
If God is on our side, we are sure to win. If God is for us, we know he is, and we know God is for us, we become utterly fearless in life. No matter how difficult the situation may be, no matter how dark the clouds that hang upon the horizon of our life, we can calmly, we are calmly assured that we must win. There can be no defeat if the Lord is for us. Hallelujah. We can also have the assurance that God is with us. Praise you, Jesus. No matter what the circumstances may be, the Lord is with us. The knowledge of the word of God along this line should certainly cause our hearts to leap within us for joy and boy over boy our spirits up in faith and confidence. In the New Testament, we have a better covenant which was established under a better promise. Look at Hebrews 8, 6. Heather, you want to tell them they're getting a little too close to the wall. <laughs> Please. I'm sure they're having a blast. Okay. Hebrews 8, 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Hallelujah. Under the covenant in the Old Testament, God was for Israel and was with Israel, but he was not in them. God is for us and with us today, but we also have something better. God is in us. God is actually making his home in our bodies. And you're learning who you are in Christ. You're learning on Wednesday night the power and the anointing, the authority that you have in Jesus Christ. Our bodies are the temple of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, if you want to turn there, know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Know you not that you are the temple of God. How powerful is that? You are the temple of God. You were from the foundation of the earth. God saw your life. He spoke into existence what you were to do on this earth. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, He came into you and lives in you. And that is so powerful. If God, you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, if you want to turn there. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You're not your own anymore. When you gave your life over to Jesus, you became his. He indwells you. You're, not, he, you're his. And he wants you to do what he did on this earth. I mean, think about this. You are his. He's in you. He wants you to go about doing all the things that he did on this earth. All we have to do is open our mouths. If we know the word of God and our authority in the word of God, when you come to a situation, speak, for, speak to that situation. 
All of us are going through something. There's a situation that we all are dealing with, and whether it be at work, whether it be in your body, whether, whatever, you need to speak to it. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. In 2 Corinthians 6, 16, and this is a powerful, powerful I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. What agreement can there be between a temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, even as God and I said, I will dwell in and with and among them and will walk in and with and among them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So come out from amongst unbelievers and separate, sever yourselves from them, says the Lord, and touch not any unclean thing, that I will, then I will receive you kindly and treat you with favor. And I will be the father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord, God Almighty. That's a heavy scripture. He says, come out from among them. Don't be caught up with unbelievers. Get away from them. There's only one reason we should be with unbelievers. That's if you have to work with them, and you all do. And if you're witnessing to them about Jesus Christ. Because unfortunately, more, time than the, more times than the other, the believer, if they don't start from the very beginning sharing Jesus Christ, and I know you can't on the job except on you know lunch hour or whatever, you will be sucked in with them because you have not let your light shine. It's really sad, but especially in this hour, I've seen more people get sucked in the other way than bringing that person into the Lord. And it's, I don't want any part of it. That's why in Psalms 1, 1, 1, 1, let's turn there a second. We hear it all the time. Blessed is the man that walketh not, that walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor following their advice, their plans and purposes, nor stands submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk, nor sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather, but his delight and desires are in the word of the Lord, and is his word, the law, the precepts and instructions, the teaching of God, he habitually meditates, ponders, and studies by day and, be, and by night, and he will be like a tree, firmly planted, tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth its fruit in its season, it leaf its leaf all shall, shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. Here we go again. Everything he does will prosper and come to maturity. God has a plan set out for you, and there are certain people that he's saying stay away from, especially the, the mockers and the, I mean, they'll get you in trouble right away. But all of these three types of people. So God is telling us to get away from them. Come out from among unbelievers and separate, sever yourselves from them, says the Lord. Why? Because he knows what, what can happen. Now, I've been doing a study for a while on the word vexed. 
You know, Lot was vexed in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he didn't have to be. He could have removed himself from those at the gate of the temple and not listened. I mean, many, you know, he chose to go there because it like, looked like the nicer, prettier, better place. Well, the nicer, prettier, better place is not always the best. Even to the point where Abraham, in the middle of this thing, got him out of a mess, and yet he went back there. He didn't have to. And it's always bothered me the amount of people that Lot took in with him, only, well, four, but his wife didn't make it. She turned back because she longed for the place and turned into a pillar of salt. Only three people came out of there, and he was so vexed that his daughters got him drunk and had sex with him. Now, that's vexed. I mean, I, I've been drunk in my life, but never that drunk. But he was vexed, and so I started doing a study on, on people that were vexed. And it's, it's a very interesting study that I will be teaching someday. It's a, you know, I've been studying it and studying it and studying it. Okay, let's go on. You, don't, you know, we all can be vexed, and we have, to, we have to prepare ourselves, cover ourselves, and keep following God in everything we do. Too few of us are really conscious of God in our bodies. If men and women were conscious of God in their bodies, they wouldn't talk and act as they do. Some Christians constantly talk about their lack of power, their lack of ability. If they realize that God is in them, they would know that nothing is impossible to them. And the Bible says in Mark 9.23, if you want to turn there and underline it in your Bible, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things. Not some things, but all things are possible to him that believeth. The reason all things are possible to him that believeth is because God our Father planned that the believer should have God himself living in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And with God in a person, nothing is impossible. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If God is in you, which he is, you're born again. I know all of you personally. If God is in you, who can be against you? He's just waiting for you to act upon the authority that he's given you. You know, you, you see people when they go out on the mission field, nothing. Those people have nothing. They come expecting to meet God and have something from God. It's amazing. Now, in America, we're extremely blessed. But if one day all that was taken from the people, I don't know what they would do. I mean, if the lights went out and they couldn't, they couldn't play with their phone or their iPad, their cars didn't work, I don't know what they'd do. I mean, it's really sad. Teenagers nowadays do not know how to have a conversation, most of them, because they've learned how to do everything on their phone. So, you know, conversation nowadays is so important. It's so important for a family to sit down at the dinner table and talk. If you have kids, you need to sit down together and eat together and talk. That's something that is so very important. So, I'll move on. I won't meddle anymore. Okay. The reason all things are possible to him is, is that he's in us and nothing's impossible. Of all the mighty truths connected with our redemption, this is the climax. After God himself has recreated us and made us new creatures, made us his own, then he in the person of the Holy Spirit makes our bodies his home. I mean, that is so powerful. He has made our bodies 
his home. He desired a temple to live in. That's, you know, that's why we've been crea created. So he could have fellowship. You can't, God cannot have fellowship with a person that has not been recreated. That's why he lives in us, so he can speak through us and to us. That's, po that's powerful when you think about it. We were so important. He desired fellowship. John wrote in the first <coughs> epistle, in 1 John 4, 4, if you want to turn there, ye are of God, little children, and overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Powerful. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Both Paul and John were writing to people who not only had received eternal life, but were filled, spirit-filled believers, those in whom the Holy Spirit had come to dwell, those who had supernatural sign or witness of his dwelling presence. Speaking with other tongues, John said, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater. I maintain that every born-again, spirit-filled believer has within him, ready to use, not within him, ready to use, say that, within me, ready to use, <laughs> all the power he will ever need to put him over in this life. We can say that again. Just say it after me. I, I'll start again. I, as a born-again believer, have within me, ready to use, all the power that I will ever need to put me over in this life. All, think of that. Just, just kind of rest. When, it, when you're reading the Bible, just rest and meditate on, on things. You have been given all the power that is needed for every situation and any situation. Praise you, Father. When we put the scriptures quoted above together, it is quite obvious that through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, God himself indwells the believer. No longer does he dwell in a man-made holy of holies, our bodies have become his temple. That shows you how big God is. <laughs> when you th he's omnipresent. We, every one of us are lights shining. And, you know, when the enemy sees us, he doesn't see us. He sees God in us. The more you live for God, the, the stronger your light becomes, and it scares him. He's like, oh no, there's a bunch of them out there. I mean, when you think about the light of God, you know, God is light. Jesus said, you are the light of the light, don't cover that candle up. Let it show. Let it shine for him. And the enemy knows it. People with demons know it. When you operate in your authority, they know just exactly who you are. I mean, I've told you about the time in the nursing home when I went in with the gal that used to pray when I ministered. We walked in and this to pray for this woman and she started, the spirit in her started saying, I know who you are. I knew you were coming. 
and I don't like you or something. I can't remember the third one, but she wouldn't stop. She kept saying over and over. I mean, she, we, they had put her out in the hall. It was on a Saturday, and here she is. I know who you are. I knew you were coming. The enemies had told her they're coming. And I just told the gal that was coming, just lay hands and pray over her. And I took authority over it, and they left. But bless, bless her heart, that woman was free. God had a time and an hour for her. And she was totally bound. But she knew exactly who we were and what we were there to do to set her free. Thank God, that was Harold's wife. Remember Harold? We used to pray with him on Saturday nights. Praise you, Jesus. Okay. All righty. Hang on. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's presence was kept and closed in the Holy of Holies. No one dared approach there except the high priest, and he only with great precautions. If anyone else dared to intrude, he fell dead. I want you to think about this. It was necessary for him for every male throughout Israel to present himself at least once a year at Jerusalem because that was where God's presence was. Think of this. God's presence was in Jerusalem. And you had to go where his presence was. I mean, sometimes people do not get the realization of just who they are in Christ Jesus and who he is in them. But just before Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He was not referring to the new covenant. He was talking about the old covenant. The new covenant was not finished until Christ ascended on high and entered in the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood to obtain eternal redemption for us. As Hebrews declares, then and only then was a new covenant finished. When Jesus on Golgotha's rugged hill said, it is finished, the Bible tells us that the curtain that partitioned off the Holy of Holies in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. So, the petition that separated the people from the priest, when Jesus, when it was finished, it split right down the middle. There was no, there was no more separation. You th when you think about how powerful that is, really, that is powerful. When you think about this, as we go on here, then and only then the new covenant finished. Wait a minute. Uh, Holy of Holies with his own blood to obtain eternal redemption. Um, when, I, when Jesus on Golgotha's rugged hill said it is finished, the Bible tells us that the curtain that partitioned off the Holy of Holies in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us the curtain was 40 feet across, 30 feet high, and four inches thick. Now think about that, four inches thick, forty feet across, twenty feet high, sent his messenger, God sent his messenger down there to rent the curtain apart from top to bottom, signifying that the old covenant was finished. 
God's presence, which had been contained in the Holy of Holies, left that man-made structure. He has never again dwelled in a man-made building. We are a building, the house of God. Think about that. I am a building. I'm the building. I'm the house of God. You're the house of God. I don't know if you've ever really seen yourself like this. When Jesus said it is finished, much took place. Much took place. Thank you, Jesus. We are called a building, the house of God. We are perfectly, oh, oh, wait a minute, we are partly correct and partly incorrect according to what we, was meant by it. It was meant, the building is the house of God because God lives and dwells there. We are wrong. He does not dwell in a building. If we mean that it is God's house and is sacred because it is built in the name of Jesus and is dedicated to the service of the Lord, then we are correct. It is a house of God. However, God doesn't live in a building made with hands. He lives and dwells in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we come in here, the power of the Holy Spirit comes in here. Every time one of us comes, that's why it's so important, why God told pastors, separate the sanctuary. Make it a place where people can walk in and just minister to the Lord. Why we don't stand up here and have to, I mean, I've seen pastors have to quiet down the congregation to get started. God, I'm going to be honest, God can't move in that kind of atmosphere like he wants to. When you all come in and are ready and, and desirous for his presence, then he's going to move. When the praise and worship goes on, then he's going to move. He he's already knows, okay, this place has been dedicated. When they come in and they're, they're ready and prepared to worship me, I'm going to move amongst them. That is so power. John said... Greater is he that's in you, looking at John 14, 16, which we studied in our last lesson. We hear Jesus say, And I will pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And we hear him say at the end of the 17th verse, He shall be in you. And that is John saying, here too, that he writes to a born-again, spirit-filled believers. He is in you. You know, I love what pastors, what we're teaching on Wednesday night. It's powerful. If you, if you get a hold of that, the authority of the believer, and start meditating on it, operating in it, just even just the small everyday things that take place take your authority but, you know there are small things that take i mean there could be someone on the phone that is going off or whatever take your authority put it on mute and take your authority over it i sometimes i put it on mute and the person is are you st are you still there but i'm praying for the situation that's going on. I don't know how many people I've led to the Lord that, you know, work for PG&E or the gas company or whatever on the phone. You know, if I'm on the phone, I'm going to try to get these people saved. And I start out with, you go to church. That's simple. You go to church. And... They say, yes, I'll say, what church do you go to? And then I'll ask them, have you ever been born again? I mean, I, I've, like I said, I want more people to the Lord just, just like that. Just taking that extra time. Doesn't, it only takes about two minutes to get a person saved. Okay, all right. 
But he who is in you, if we were conscious to the greater one in us, we would have no fear of the devil because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. If we are conscious of the greater one who indwells in us and we believe what the word of God says about his presence, no matter what or whom we face, we have no fear. We have a source of all power dwelling in us. As the Holy Spirit dwells within us, according to Christ's promise, we will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not have to be defeated by the circumstances of life. We can rise above our phys physical limitations through the power of His Spirit. And that's something we are all reaching for in one way or another. In one way or another. How? How do we do this? Well, the best way I know to do this is meditating on the Word of God. Praying in tongues. Building up your most holy faith Praying in the Holy Ghost, Jude 20. Build up your most holy faith. We have to build it up. I want you to meditate this week on 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, if you'll come, you're getting out early today. This is a, you can just, you can write this down in your Bible. What a miracle. <laughs> Does anybody need prayer this morning? Do you? Come on up, honey. Gina needs prayer. Praise you, Father. Put on the last, the holy, holy, holy that we just did. Thank you, Heather. Praise you, Jesus.